Hello and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our show. We're so grateful to be here this week answering lots and lots of interesting questions. I'm here with my friends Jane Wendy. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing? We are good. How are you? Oh, blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have to remember that one. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. I have to remind myself it sometimes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're so excited because this week we actually have a very special episode where we're answering questions and comments that have come in on our Facebook page and as well as um, I believe on our YouTube as well. So we've had some interesting questions and comments that we wanted to address and answer um, since if you give us the time to to write, we will give you the time to, to give an answer. So um, with that being said, we can go ahead and start with a quick word of prayer. Uh, Jay or Wendy, do you, you want to start sure. us out? Lord, thank you so much for this uh, week that's coming to a close and for all your blessings. We have so much to be grateful for. And we just ask that you be with us now um, in the midst of all of us across the globe as we come to study your word. Just may your truth be uh, spoken through us and heard by everybody that um, we may all be united in your truth. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Oh, and we want to just remind everyone that um, since we are live, feel free to give us a shout out, say hi, um, add your comment, your input. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so we just want to make sure we uh, you, we want you to know that you are part of the show. This is interactive. So feel free to um, comment as and um, let us know what's on your mind as well. Um, do we have anything so far? Any shout outs yet? Oh, we got Brian Dole. Hello, Brian Dole. A Doyle. <laughs> a Do I'm sorry, I can't see it. So I'm um, a Doyle. Yeah, there oh, we go. So he's got well, or a couple of questions actually. Maybe we can, if he's still with us, maybe, do you want to hit that one first? Uh, that's uh, that's up to you guys. How do you guys yeah. want to go? Um, Brian Doyle, that's a great question. And actually, there's two parts. So he said, Wendy, do you want to read it? Yeah, sure. So Brian is at, is asking why can't religions prove their claims of God? Or, or gods. gods. Or gods. And then the next one is religions never prove their gods. Why? Um, I don't know. That's funny because last episode we actually did just that. We talked about some of our different proofs about gods. And maybe, Tina, do you want to summarize what you said? And then I could talk about what I did. So, I mean, as far as like proving their God, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what you mean, like prove that there is a God. Um, but I will say that, you know, in the Christian faith, we believe in Jesus as our savior. Now, how do we prove that Jesus was the Savior or the Messiah? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, there's a word of prophecy. And just like I know Jay pointed out last week about Isaiah 46.10 that says, you know, um, I am the Lord and there is none else. I am the Lord and there is none beside me. I am the um, he who declares the end from the beginning and things that will be as are things that have not happened as though they shall be. So basically, God is saying that he is God because he can declare the future. And if you look at Jesus as the Messiah, you look throughout the entire Old Testament, um, and there are so many prophecies that pinpoint Jesus as the Messiah. Um, I forget how many hundreds of prophecies there are, but I remember there was a, a scientist or mathematician that went through like nine of them and mathematically proving that if Jesus just fulfilled those nine, it was like one to the zero like to the 30s <laughs> more than there are particles in the universe exactly so i mean just showing how 
like it, there's nobody else but Jesus that could have fulfilled these prophecies. And so, I mean, I would really um, encourage you to study the Bible and, you know, find Jesus there for yourself because Jesus said, search the scriptures for in them, you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And Jesus said this when only the Old Testament was around, which is interesting because if you look at like Psalm 22, like this is a big messianic prophecy. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting this verse and it says that thou hast, they have uh, parted my garments, um, you know, they've pierced my hands and feet. That was written by David thousands of years before Jesus died on the cross. But it was a prophecy pointing to Jesus. Um, there's other <laughs> prophecies about the star. There's prophecies about Jesus riding on the donkey. There's all sorts of prophecies throughout history for thousands of years that all point to Jesus. And they Jesus fulfilled each and every one of them perfectly. So if I was yeah. you, <laughs> I would look into that prophet, all those yeah. prophecies. And there is a link that has been posted in the comments so that you can uh, go and read very specific uh, items on this that have been answered by Bible Ask. And I want to add a couple things to that. Um, There's a guy called Lee Strobel who was a journalist and he started, he was atheist and he started interviewing theologians, people like this, asking them, why do you believe there's Jesus and what evidence do you have that he really existed? And by the end of his project, he came out a believer because he saw that there was more historical evidence, more proof that Jesus actually came, was, and the things happened to him did happen, um, better established than pretty much any other historical fact, period. So uh, so definitely read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That, that lays out evidence. I think he also wrote a later book, Case for Creation, where he lays mm -hmm. out all the evidence or or evidence he he liked um, in favor of that. And what's really amazing about Jesus and prophecies is there's one prophecy, in fact, in the book of Daniel, Daniel uh, chapter 7, I think it's 7, 8, 9, where, oh, Daniel 9, where yeah. it gives you certain dates, and it tells you from the time when the command goes out for the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem, which is 457 B.C., I think, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it says, uh, and then you go forward. Uh, the 70 weeks. Yeah, 70 weeks. But you go go forward 69, 69 weeks, mm -hmm. uh, according to the prophecy, mm -hmm. and you'll end up at 27 AD. And it mm -hmm. says that's when Messiah will come. And that just so happens to be the year that Jesus was baptized. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows around 30 AD was when Jesus comes. And it says... You know, based on this prophecy, 27 AD is when Jesus comes, when he will be baptized. Messiah means anointed. And Jesus was anointed at the time of his baptism. Mm -hmm. And and then it says in three and a half years, the Messiah would be cut off in this prophecy. Mm -hmm. And Jesus died in that middle of that, this last week of the 70 week prophecy. He died on the day, you know, because it, you go within a uh, half a year from the the first command, which happened around the time of um, halfway through the year, Day of Atonement time, and then you go forward uh, half a year, you end up at the time of uh, Passover. Passover, and that's mm -hmm. when Jesus died. Mm -hmm. And then you go forward another three and a half weeks, so it says during this additional time, the Messiah will confirm his promise, confirm his covenant, which then happened when the disciples were trying to 
preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And, and then this period ends with the stoning of Stephen, and immediately we see an Acts of the Gospel going into all the world to the Gentiles and everybody. So it's exactly as was prophesied in Daniel way before, hundreds of years before Jesus actually, actually ever came about. And we know this because we find it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. So nobody can deny that this was predicted before it actually happened. And this is in addition to the prophecies like in Daniel 2, where it predicts the entire rise and fall of multiple successions of, of empires, starting with the Babylonian Empire, ending up with Rome, not being conquered really by, by another empire, but just falling apart into this loose coalition of states like we see now with the European Union. He even talks about how they will try to interbreed with one another. And also, it's amazing. It's incredible. So, yeah, there's empirical evidence right there. And we give many more. So check out last week's episode. I think it was the last question. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, I mean, find yourself a real Christian <laughs> and talk to them and, tell, and let them express to you what their, their encounter with Jesus has meant to them on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you, you know, I, I've studied all the prophecies and they're amazing and they're true. And I, you know, they're logical to me. They make sense. But what makes me believe in Jesus and have a relationship with him is who he is and how he's changed my life and how he's changed my heart. So that would be, um, the prophecy is the quantitative, the, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the relationship with Jesus is the qualitative, I would say. As the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. So we, we do have a um, uh, one. We have the Naga Central that has joined us this evening. Central Church says happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. So, Thanks for joining us. Yes. Uh, and with that, let's go ahead and dive into our first question. <clears throat> so Thomas is asking, are we living in the end times? Why does God allow COVID? All right, my friend Thomas. So what I would say to answer both of those questions is um, the answer is actually all found, I would say, in Matthew chapter 24. Now, if you look really quick in Matthew 24, verses 2 and 3, it says something very interesting. So Matthew 24, verses 2 and 3 read, um, it says, And Jesus said unto them, being his disciples, See you not all these things? Verily I say unto you, he's speaking about Jerusalem, that there shall not be here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. So his disciples got very interested in what Jesus was saying. And so in verse 3, you see them asking him, And as he sat up on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately and saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So basically, when Jesus gives the prophecy of chapter of Matthew 24, it's a dual prophecy because Jesus was speaking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So they're saying, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the age or the end of the world? So um, basically, when you go through the chapter, um, it says something very interesting. And if you read in verses... um, six through eight. So keep going in the chapter in verses six through eight. And it says, um, and you, so Jesus is telling his disciples, you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, pass, but the end is not yet. So Jesus is saying, there's going to be some things coming to pass, but the end isn't quite yet, but it's coming. And verse seven goes on to say, 
For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And verse 8 says, and these things are the beginning of sorrows. So basically the beginning of birth pangs. So when you see that word pestilences, that's disease. That's a widespread disease or pandemic. So basically the Bible is saying that before the coming of Jesus, there's going to be um, widespread diseases and pandemics. So COVID is just one of many <laughs> um, things that must come to pass. It's just the beginning of sorrows. It's one of the signs of Jesus coming, but it doesn't mean it's the end quite yet. Now, if you're saying, well, how do I, when will Jesus come? Uh, the answer is in first, uh, verse 14. So Matthew 24, verse 14, which says, and this gospel, so Jesus talks about all these signs of his coming, but then he gets to verse 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So the end doesn't come until the gospel is preached into the whole world. Now we do see that rapidly happening, thank God, in this world today, especially as technology increases. We see the gospel going to all the world in areas that have never been reached. It's, you know, before people were like, how are you going to reach people in this tiny corner of the world? People are getting reached that nobody ever thought would be reached. Um, and just to prove again that this is, you know, you know, we are in the end times, you know, Jesus lists all these things, wars, rumors of wars, all these pestilences, things that are going to happen. I mean, all these things have happened. And it says, like it said earlier, these are the beginning of sorrows. And that word sorrows means birth pangs. So like when um, a woman is going into labor, the, the pain gets um, shorter in between and more intense as the time approaches for the baby to come. And so you see wars, rumors of wars, all these things happening in greater scale and, and closer to, you know, together in time as the end approaches. But Jesus says in verse um, 33 of Matthew 24, so Matthew 24, verse 33, he says, so likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So Jesus is saying that, you know, when you see all these things happening, these pestilences like COVID, I mean, this is a worldwide scale pandemic that happened. This is, we've never seen anything like this in Earth's history. And so, you know, all these sort of things going on, these are pointing us, trying, God's trying to get our attention. Hey, I'm coming soon. Get ready, get ready, get ready. So um, are we living in end times? I would say yes. <laughs> and I think COVID is a sign of the second coming of Jesus. I don't think it is the second coming of Jesus, or it's not, you know, the number one thing that's going to cause it. But I think it just plays a part in one of the things like wars, rumor, rumors of wars, all these things, scary things happening. But Jesus says, do not fear. Um, because obviously, Jesus is in control. And as long as we're right with him, we can have salvation and assurance that our, you know, our eternal salvation is secure. Uh, any other thoughts, guys? Yeah, and I just add to me something that I've really come to realize much more in the past couple of years is one of the most repeated warnings in the New Testament is don't be deceived. And yes. in fact, when um, in Matthew 24 that Tina was talking mm -hmm. about, the very first thing out of Jesus's mouth when he's giving his answer about what the end times would be like is he yeah. says, do not be deceived. Don't let any man deceive you. Yes. So right there, deception, lies, falseness, that is the sign of the last times. We are in this time now where we're so confused what is truth, what's not. And Paul talks about, you know, people are going to be um, 
God's going to allow people to enter a strong delusion because they do not have love of the truth. Like we yeah. have to love truth. We have to desire wherever truth is, where it takes us. We can't let our pride get in the way. We can't let smart sounding people get in the way. We need to find truth. And the Bible says it's truth. And we can believe it's truth, have faith it's truth. And if we do, uh, as the Bible says, you, it's like you're having an anchor and you're not going to be blown one way or another by every wind of doctrine. That's the only way to not be deceived is solid foundation in the Bible. Amen. I 100% agree with that. And I think that that's, pro yeah, probably one of the biggest signs of the coming of Christ is how much deceit has gone forth in this world. I mean, especially like you see it on the Internet. You can't trust anything that you're looking at or reading these days. Yeah. And you really you can't even. You know, when you when it comes to studying scripture, you really need to read it for yourself that you're not deceived. You can't just because someone's mm -hmm. a pastor or a preacher, no disrespect to that, you know, pastors and preachers, I respect them. But that doesn't mean that you have to believe everything that they say blindly. You have to study mm -hmm. it for yourself. Like the Bible says to be a good Berean and um, study these things to see if they are so. So mm -hmm. anything we say, any answers we give, study the Bible for yourself. Don't believe mm -hmm. it just because we said it. You know, believe it because you read it for yourself in the Bible and God is convicting you through his Holy Spirit. Exactly. Yes. All right. Let's go ahead and get our next question up. Or do a couple of shout outs. Oh, yeah. We oh. can do a shout out to uh, Olivia who's joined us. Thank you so much for joining us, Olivia. <laughs> and uh, also to Vanessa. Great to have you both here again this evening. Yes. Thank Thanks you again, joining Vanessa. Us. For joining and us. yeah, if you're just tuning in, uh, please give us a shout out. We'll love to know if you're here. Yep. And let's go ahead and get our next question up. Okay, so MXO is asking, who is Lucifer the fallen angel? Yes, yes, I love questions like this. Um, so who is Lucifer? So he's referring to Isaiah 4, which is, I believe, is that probably the only time I think that Lucifer is really used. And it reads, how... Are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation of the fathers. It keeps going, going, going. I, 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 I'm going to be basically bigger and better than God. So... Here we're, we're, we're shown that Lucifer, the name which means light bearer, is a person who is challenging God, wanting to be in the position and place of God. But he is not God. As it starts off, it says he's fallen from heaven. He is not a celestial being allowed to be there anymore. It says, you know, but you are cast out of the grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, it keeps going and prophesying that there's going to be an, a destruction brought about against this, this person. And if you look in Revelation 12, you might see a parallel to this person. Um, Revelation 12, starting at verse 7, it says, And war broke out in heaven. So there's a conflict in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. So there's this dispute. What are they fighting over? Um, but they did not prevail, the dragon and his angels, 
nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. Oh, so these people are now cast out of heaven, fallen from heaven. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, referring back to Eden, um, you know, the snake, that deceiver of Eve, um, called the devil and Satan. So what we're seeing here is Lucifer, the same as Satan, these aren't necessarily his real name. We might not know his real name. Uh, you know, just like it, it, Michael, Michael actually is referring to Jesus, who is Yahweh, who is Elohim, who is... Um, these are more like titles, the descriptions. And often in the Bible, that name is telling you about that person more than just necessarily what their identity is. So don't get caught up on what's the name of Lucifer, Satan. These are titles they're telling us about this person. Satan, Satan, you know, the enemy. He's the accuser. He's the one who's just a problem maker who's raging war against God. And you also um, might want to check out Ezekiel 28, where it's it first refers to um, the person as the king of Tyre. But as you go through and you read it, it's talking about this covering cherub who was very close to God, who then iniquity one day was found within in him. He's the source of sin. And he then starts tainting all of heaven and is cast out and will be destroyed someday. This is consistent with John 8, 44, where Jesus, talking of the Pharisees, says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. I mean, Satan is the originator of all sin. He was the deceiver at the beginning. And, he, you know, we were just talking about how there's so much deception in these last times. Mm -hmm. Satan is running around like a roaring lion trying to devour prey. And deception is one of his main techniques. Mm -hmm. He's trying to lead us astray, trying to make us think the wrong things, be the wrong type of person, be angry at people rather than come together in peace and love. Like He is at the root of all the problems we have right now. And we have to decide, though, are we wanting to be a part of that system, Satan's system, or do we want to enter in and be a citizen of God's kingdom? Because the two follow two totally different rules. And mm -hmm. we could go on and on, but yeah, Satan, Lucifer, all the same. The, the fallen angel originating sin. Mm -hmm. Amen. I know, whenever I think of, you know, that verse about Satan in Ezekiel 28, um, I know it starts with the king of Tyre, and there's been a lot of people that say, oh, this is not talking about Satan. It's talking about the king of Tyre. You can't say that this is talking about Satan. But the thing that it's doing is it's paralleling um, the king of Tyre to Satan. It's talking about because the king of Tyre was full of pride. If he followed the path of Satan, which was that Satan was full of pride. And because of his mm -hmm. pride, it led to his destruction. So I, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. But, um, and yeah, just the way Satan works is, you know, he wants us, you know, full of hate, yeah. anger and these mm -hmm. things, whereas, you know, God wants us to be full of his spirit, which is love. Yeah. And Ezekiel 28, it outright says you were in Eden. 
Yeah. The King of Tyre, when this was written by Ezekiel, had not been in Eden. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. He was in Tyre. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, go ahead and get to our next question here, since we have quite a few this evening. All right. So... Bashan is asking, how do I know I committed the unpardonable sin because I was going because I was going through Google to see if God forgives all sins, which he does, except blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. And I look back, baptized at eight, on my life, and my dad once had me put my hand on the Bible about fifth grade. As you may guess, you, you lied and felt really bad. Fast forward maybe five years, and I was agnostic, uh, a uh, theist at a, at the time. But one morning, I said I was effed up because I woke up early just to go to church and declared I was, and it's cut off. Uh, but I think the main question is, oh, how we got it here. Oh, okay. Um, where was I? Uh, he so he was fed up because he woke up. Okay, sorry. Yeah, because because I woke up to w woke up too early just to go to church and declared I was agnostic atheist. But when a girl, my sister's friend, came in, the I claimed to be Christian immediately afterward, though an agnostic at heart. A couple times while home that year, I talked as if God was talking to me, and maybe once I think I said some ungodly things during that that time like of my own desires and i took communion several times as an agnostic christian a few times i yelled and cursed at god most of the time when say god you mean the father and now as a true christian and with research i feel a little relieved but still freaked out one time angrily last school year i said to my ex c team bc a girl rejected me my actions reflect a Satanist or atheist, I might have added. I'm not ashamed to admit that, quote. I, I apologize, saying, God told me to apologize. The day afterward, but I was still mad at the girl. One time I said to my girlfriend, spiritual wife now, on video chat, I wish my parents weren't religious so I can talk to you longer. And I'm kind of scared. And errant thoughts come, to my, come in my head about, is God that good and coming up with doubts and stuff? stressing me about this sin kind of interesting that last part about these thoughts coming into um bishwan's hope i pronounced that right uh coming to his mind like that's exactly the voice of satan trying to make us you know not only does he feed us falsities but he also tries to discourage us he does speak lies to us in first person make them think we're our thoughts to discourage us to make us not have hope, to make us doubt our connection and salvation with Christ. Mm -hmm. um, and let's talk about that. So uh, a lot of people are are worried all the time about have they committed the unpardonable, unpardonable sin. So let's talk about that. Let's look at Matthew 12, starting at verse 31. Matthew 12, verse 31. And Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, uh, it will be forgiven him, but who, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. 
either in this age or the age to come. And there's similar, similar, similar language in Mark 3, starting at verse 28. It says, As surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. So, what is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? What is this about? Um, there's, there's a couple different things, but uh, what is really, one of the things Jesus is getting at here is, um, if, are you going against God in a sense where God's trying to do a good thing, but you are especially intentionally trying to attribute that to Satan or evil? Or are you taking something as evil and are you intentionally trying to say that's good? You know, and, and misappropriating or misattributing what is evil for good and good for evil, in a sense. That, that could be one aspect of it, but what's even more importantly uh, going on is the Holy Spirit is within each of every one of us. And that's a fascinating Bible study about how it's working on us. God is trying to call us to him. Jesus says, you know, I will be lifted up that that all men may be drawn unto me. So he's trying God's trying to pull us to him. And the Holy Spirit's working on our heart. It's sort of that conscience, one of those voices we have in our head. We got Satan speaking to us, and we have the Holy Spirit in sense there too. Also be impressing us, trying to convict us, telling us, no, that's wrong, don't do that. And if we're constantly rejecting the Holy Spirit, it's going to keep pulling back going to keep pulling back and it gets harder to hear its voice it gets harder to um, feel those impressions it gets harder to follow what the Holy Spirit's trying to cause us to do and if you keep resisting for too long too much you might in, in a sense eventually get numb to the Holy Spirit and you might cut yourself off from God and now you're in a very dangerous place because let's let's turn to first John one nine. 1 John 1, 9. It reads, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do we have to do? We must confess our sins. If we're doing that, if we confess, we should have confidence that we are forgiven. That's what this verse is telling us. But if we are not confessing, if we are continuing to resist the Holy Spirit, to resist God, we are now in the position where our sins are not forgiven. And um, ultimately, the refusal, I would say, to, to confess, to, to submit ourselves to God, that refusal to listen to the Holy Spirit is what will, in a sense, be that unpardonable sin. God can't pardon it until we confess it. Mm -hmm. That's what's unpardonable. So... Um, so going back to this story by Vishwan, I mean, Vishwan, it sounds like you're struggling, you're trying to listen, you're trying what to do is right, and the flesh within you, as Romans 7 would say, is warring against the law of the Spirit. And so your flesh is trying to take you one way, your fears, your concerns, your pride, whatever, is taking you one way, and the Holy Spirit is trying to take you another, and afterwards you're processing these things, you're feeling bad what you're doing, and hopefully you're confessing, and 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 wanting to repent and turn from that. And that's good. That's the walk of a, of a Christian. A, a righteous man is one who falls seven times 
and gets up again. Uh, there's a proverb on that. That's the righteous man. We're going to keep falling. We're going to make mistakes. But the idea is that we're confessing. We're, we're grateful for God, God's mercy. We know God's working with us. And, um, and whether we sin, God's grace is sufficient for us. That's, that's a beautiful that's answer. A well delivered. Yeah. Praise God. Thank you. Tina, any thoughts? Uh, amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, and I think about, you know, there was a time where I, you know, as a, a young teenager thought that I committed the unpardonable sin because I was, you know, angry with God. And I was like, you know, I said something in my heart that maybe wasn't nice to God. And later I heard about this verse and I thought, did I con you know, commit this and I'm lost forever? There's no hope for me. But I read, God kept bringing to my mind the verse, 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So really the Holy Spirit, you know, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit isn't that you're angry with God or you say something bad about God. I mean, those are not good things. You need to confess those sins. But um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is where you don't listen to the Holy Spirit and you don't come to God anymore. You don't ask for forgiveness. The only sin that God cannot forgive is the one you don't confess and you don't admit to. So if you're going to, you know, like you're saying, you know, calling evil good and good evil and, you know, just mm -hmm. staying pridefully in your sin and, you know, mm -hmm. pushing God away, God has to respect your choice. Um, and, you know, you're choosing to be lost basically, but God is in no way ever unwilling to forgive you. Um, it's just, mm -hmm. are you willing to hear God's voice? He wants to forgive you if you will just let him do it by yeah. confessing. Yeah. yeah. And we actually have a question that's related to this one. And that um, that is a question by Jigger. I think G-J-I-H-G-G-E-R. Let's go ahead and bring that question up if we can. Let's jump in ahead a, a couple questions. Okay, so uh, Jigger is asking, can I ask help? Please? Oh, that's a different question. You must have had a couple. Must be two. Yeah. <laughs> the, the one, can Bible ask, can you explain this? Can you, yeah, okay. can you explain this? So basically, I'll, he's just quoting Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 31 and 32, which is what we just went over. Exactly. Um, so he, yeah, he just basically asked us to explain it, but which is what you just did. So, so. Hope, hope, Jigger, we answered your question. Yes. Yeah. Great. All right, let's go ahead and continue where we left off. All right. All right. Let's so Jeffrey is asking, is uh, why do I feel like the earth is moving under my feet and nobody else can feel it? Why do I get this feeling? Well, my friend, um, I want to answer your question, but I don't know how exactly you want it to be related to the Bible. Um, to me, that sounds like vertigo. <laughs> that was my first thought, too. Yeah. And and yeah, is this literal or is this metaphorical, yeah, metaphorically speaking? Yeah, I'm yeah. not exactly sure. Um, so, I mean... When it comes to sometimes there are things in this life and you question, is this spiritual or is this physical? And so I'm not trying to make fun of you. I'm sorry, brother. I, I hope I didn't come across that way. Um, you know, I'm not trying to make fun of you at all. But, you know, there's sometimes people, 
they have conditions or things and, and it's very questionable, like, is this spiritual? Is this physical? Um, and I think when it comes to remedying some things like that, it's good to start with, you know, what are physically, what could be going on? Is this a dizzy spell? Is this, you know, like I'm saying, vertigo, epilepsy, there, there could be a medical condition that maybe needs to be addressed. But if there is none, you know, I would pray, you know, I'd pray about it and see what God tells you. And, you know, if, if God's trying to speak to you in some way, um, I, I mean, I, I don't know, I've never heard of anybody being spoken to in that way. But, um, you know, I would pray and see if God doesn't speak to you through that still small voice, just as he did to the prophet Elijah. Mm -hmm. uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts? Nope, that's uh, my thoughts exactly too. All, All right, right, let's go to our next question. So Sonia is asking, what does John 3, 22 to 36 mean? All right, my friend Sonia. I love that name, by the way. Um, very cool. Uh, this is a really interesting passage that you bring up in John chapter 3, uh, verses 22 through 36. And it's kind of a long passage, so we don't have to read the whole thing. Um, but I'll basically summarize what's going on here. Uh, this passage is the um, John the Baptist speaking to his disciples. And so basically what happened was before Jesus um, began his earthly ministry, you know, before he was uh, baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist had disciples as well. There were lots of people that were following John because John was um, preaching, you know, that, hey, get ready for the coming Messiah. So basically, you know, in the Old Testament, it talks about there's there will be one um, as one crying in the wilderness saying, you know, get ready for the, the day of the Lord because Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to the earth for the first time. And, you know, just like Jesus says, you know, this, he'll have the spirit of Elijah. And so this was John the Baptist. And so what happened was um, when John the Baptist had, you know, been going through his ministry for a while, he had a lot of followers or disciples and um, they, you know, they were doing things that John was telling them to do. But then all of a sudden Jesus came into the picture and you know, Jesus started getting followers and disciples. And so his, um, John's disciples were like, hey, like this guy or these disciples of Jesus are are doing stuff. And, you know, that's kind of taken away from your ministry. Like, should we be opposed to this? So they were concerned about the ministry of Jesus. They didn't understand it yet. And so um, basically, uh, do, 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 you know, they were talking about, uh, I think the big issue was like you read in verse 25 that John's disciples were arguing about um, the purification. So like the Jews had a ritual of purification, like washing your hands. And if you remember, Jesus had kind of an altercation or, a, you know, a conversation <laughs> with the, the Jews about, you know, it's, it doesn't matter, you know, this ritual of washing your hands, you know, that's not what makes you pure and clean. It's about, you know, spiritually speaking, it's not what goes in your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. And so um, his, you know, John's disciples were, you know, worried about, you know, what was going on with Jesus. And John says, you know, to them, um, you know, first of all, he explains in verse 28, he's John, um, 
that you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. And in verse 30, he says a very profound uh, verse, which says he must increase, but I must decrease. So basically John is saying, look, Jesus is going to get more popular than me. Jesus is going to do these things. He's going to, you know, have more following and have more authority than me because he's from heaven. I'm from earth. And so basically John is just pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And if you go down to the last verse in verse 36, he says, he that believes on the son, Jesus has everlasting life. And he that believes not on the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So basically, Again, John is just pointing to Jesus because that was the purpose of John's ministry was not to be you know, a leader in any way. His, his job was just to point to Jesus. So that's really what these verses are talking about. Um, again, it's just a conversation John is having with his disciples where he is pointing his disciples in essence to Jesus Christ because that was his role um, mm -hmm. in his ministry. Uh, John, or Jay or Wendy, do you guys have any other thoughts on that? Nope, totally agree. Cool. All right, let's keep moving on to our next question. So, okay, so this is where Jigger is asking, can I ask help, please? Because this Bible verse put me into panic, anxiety, and worrying. It's in the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit because lately I rejected Jesus or the God. Maybe, but I ask forgiveness, confessing and apologizing for those words I said, and I'm still worshiping God and Jesus. This is my question. Can God forgive Christians who rejected the Holy Spirit again and again, but lately they apologize and apologize and continuing worshiping Jesus and their God? I'm really afraid to lose my salvation. I am blaming God for the bad things happening to me because I believe he managed my life. That is why I once said or insult against God just to talk with him my angry and pain, but lately I still apologize because those words I said against Jesus and God. Well, yeah, we definitely address this and we'll repeat it again. One of the best verses of the whole Bible, right? First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful mm -hmm. and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. So, and, he, yeah. Oh, go ahead and finish. No, no. <laughs> I, I just wanted to say that, you know, for, especially because this question is coming up a lot, and I know it is a question that a lot of people have. And I just want to say that when you are in the midst of this anxiety and this struggle and this fear and worry about wondering if God can forgive you and if God can love you and for the mistakes, you know, that you've made in your life, that is the time among all times to remember that God loves you immensely. Like, God loves you so much that he knew you were going to have these struggles. And Jesus went to the cross to take those struggles away from you, to set you free from those struggles. That's how much God loves you. So to think that God can't forgive you in these moments is to be deceived. God gave everything to be able to have you know his forgiveness and his love for you. 
that's what he wants and he just wants you to know that and and to know that in every part of your body of your mind of your heart when you are struggling with these things that is exactly why he went to the cross for you so um don't answer the next question (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know i was (laughs) Uh, I hadn't even run ahead yet, (laughs) but I just really want people to know who are struggling with anxiety or struggling with these kinds of issues, these fears, these concerns, like this is precisely what Jesus went to the cross for, precisely. And can I add one last thought on this matter? Yeah. That was so beautiful, Wendy. I'm sorry (laughs) to even say anything else because that was very, very true and so, so heartfelt and so beautiful. Um, You know, what you're describing here, you know, to my brother who's asking is very similar to me to what Peter went through. Um, Do you remember Peter when Jesus, you know, he, you know, he said, you know, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll do anything for you. But then when it came time for Jesus to be crucified, he denied him three times. So, when after Jesus was crucified, um, you know, he came to Peter and Peter, you know, had to confess this. And, you know, you know, he asked Peter, do you love me three times? And Jesus said, yes, I love you. And so um, he had to come back to Jesus. But when he did, you know, Jesus accepted him, you know, even though he had denied Jesus, you know, in Jesus's most critical hour, he denied him. Um, but yet, Peter writes a beautiful verse in the in the book he wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, um, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. God is patient with us, <laughs> even though he, because he knows we're going to mess up and make mistakes, mm-hmm. but is long-suffering toward us, patient with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you are coming to repentance, you are following God's will. And God, Jesus says, anybody that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So Mm -hmm. as long as you repent, as long as you're coming to Christ, God will not reject you. He will accept you, but you just have to fully and completely repent. Mm -hmm. And there is, like we said, there's no sin that God cannot forgive as long as we confess it and come to him with Mm -hmm. it, with an open heart. Amen. And yeah, we should keep in mind, like who is the one that condemns? Who is the one that accuses? So, <laughs> like devil. Revelation, yeah, Revelation. We're talking about the devil. Revelation twelve ten. It refers to the devil as the accuser of the brethren. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the devil's role. And so, when we we Christians even start being the accusers, we're not acting like Christ. Because yeah. we're in John eight eleven. What did Christ say to the woman caught in the middle of the act of adultery? which many of us think is like the worst sin ever next to murder, right? And what did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Yeah, but go and sin no more. But go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wants we all, to live. Exactly. And we all know John three sixteen, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, in him shall not perish but ever have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. The very next verse, though, most people don't know. For mm-hmm. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to deliver the world through mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. That's, exactly. Yeah, that's God. That's the God we serve. God who is yep. love. Amen. Yeah. All right, let's go to our next question here. 
So Sandoval is asking, when a Christian is baptized, should they be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or in the name of Jesus? That's a great question, Sandoval. And I actually really like that you brought it up because I've seen some people make a whole doctrine out of <laughs> whose name you should be baptized in. Um, and the thing is, the Bible says both. Um, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, as part of the, you know, the commission, uh, Jesus tells his disciples, you know, to go baptize, um, you know, go into all the earth and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. However, when you go forward in the book of Acts, you know, after Jesus goes to heaven and his disciples are baptizing, um, like uh, Peter preached at Pentecost, you know, to be baptized. And in Acts chapter 22, verse 38, he says that, Basically, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the um, for the remission of sins. And again, um, another of the apostles um, speaks in Acts chapter eight, verse twelve, that they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So the Bible says Jesus and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And honestly, I, I'm going to tell you, I don't think it makes that big of a difference um, as long as it's you know who. It is that you're speaking to, because the thing is, John, Jesus even said, me, I and my father are one. Um, you know, Jesus says that in John chapter 10, verse 30. So if you're saying it in the name of Jesus, it, it, it's the father and the Holy Spirit are inclusive in a sense. So as long as it's in the name of Jesus, um, you know, it's inclusive of the father and the spirit. Um, but the main thing is, you know, just that it, your heart is right with the Lord, that you're giving your heart to to Jesus Christ. So whether it's just Jesus or the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, as long as Jesus, our Savior, is included in that, that's the right baptism. Any other thoughts, guys? Yeah, and just it, it's amazing how quick we are as humans to um, turn something into just a, a rote ritual without meaning. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So if we think there's, oh, we got to say these magic words, poof, now we make God happy. We don't know God. God really cares about the substance. He went, He cares about what's in the heart. And so when we're saying we're being baptized in the name of Jesus, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, so name, again, in the Bible, often refers to someone's character, mm -hmm. their story. What are they like? And so to be baptized in the name of Christ means we're tr we are wandering, wanting to enter into life like his life. And want to be like him. And what is he like? Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. The two are of the same character. They're they're they're, they're one. God, you know, Jesus mm -hmm. says, I and the Father are one. And and then there's no indication that there's really a major difference between them and the Holy Spirit either. Mm -hmm. You know, to the, to the point where some people say there is no separate Holy Spirit. You know, there's just two. You know, some people take it to that extreme, but. Uh, <laughs> be careful <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh, what so uh, does it really matter at the end of the day i mean it's it's the same person in a sense it's the same god one god these constituents this union of them mm -hmm. are we going to be baptized in their likeness exactly and just to reiterate what you're saying you know when it's talking about the name of Jesus or the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're right. It's talking about their character. And you see this so clearly in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, as well as uh, chapter 34, where, um, you know, Moses asked God, you know, declare, you know, show me your glory. And God says to him in Exodus 33, 19, 
And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Um, and then when he says the name of the Lord in verse, in chapter 20, or at chapter Exodus 34, um, and verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So basically, it's just and when he declares his name, he's declaring who he is. He's the Lord God, merciful. And he's the Lord, he's just, he's good. Um, all these things, attributes of God. So his name is just, you know, who he is. So if you're saying, I'm baptized in the name of Jesus, um, you know, make sure you you know him on a personal level that, you know, he's He's a Lord God, merciful. He's, you know, it's because you have a relationship with him, not just like you're saying, if you just say the name yeah. Jesus, that, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Same thing when we pray, you know, do we need to have this magical incantation at the end in the name of Jesus, amen? Or yeah. is it when we're praying, we're supposed to be praying in the same spirit, same manner, same mm -hmm. heart as Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Amen. All right. Let's go ahead and get our next question up here. So Stacy is asking, can spirits in heaven know what is going on down on earth? What are the Bible scriptures for this question? Stacy, that's an interesting question. And I'm, I guess I'm a little bit confused as to what you mean by spirits yeah um, i was having a similar thought so if you're saying spirits um there, there's not really spirits per se in heaven um if you read first thessalonians chapter four um that gives you a pretty clear description of people like um people who've passed away in christ that they're sleeping um so they're not in heaven um in you know and it says that when Jesus Christ comes, the dead in Christ shall rise first, first, and we that are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with him. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So it's at that point when Jesus Christ comes at a second coming in the future, that's when, when people will um, ascend into heaven. Now, there are a few exceptions to this. Some people have already gone to heaven, like Elijah um, and uh, Moses was, uh, after he died, he was he was brought to heaven. You see that in, in the book of Jude. Um, I believe it's verse 9, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you have to double check. <laughs> Be a good Berean and, and make sure you, um, you double check what I say. But I know it's in the book of Jude where, you know, it says that the devil contended over the bones of Moses. But, you know, that, our, that God basically said, the Lord rebuked thee and he translated Moses home. And we know that Moses and Elijah were both in heaven because Jesus saw them on the Mount of Transfiguration. But when it comes to, um, you know, other people, um, you know, the Bible says very clearly, um, you know, the dead know nothing that they're asleep. I will, they sleep the sleep of death. Uh, remember when Lazarus was, um, uh, he had died and, um, and basically, you know, Jesus said, he's asleep. You know, I'm going to go wake him. And his disciples said, well, don't wake him up. If he's sleeping, that's good for him. He'll get better. And, and then he had to say plainly, no, he's dead. When I'm saying he's sleeping, I mean the sleep of death. Um, so, And in the Old Testament, pretty much every time a king would die or someone someone would die, yeah. it says, and he rested with his fathers. Yeah, he slept with his fathers. Very Exactly. Um, but when it comes to, you know, spirits as in like ministering spirits, as in angels, yes, they're in heaven. <laughs> and um, I would say, you know, there's an interesting verse to point to that in First Peter chapter 1, verse 12. 
um, where it says basically unto whom it is revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So there are angels, which are another word for an angel is a ministering spirit. And they um, indeed desire, you know, they are watching from heaven and they desire to look into um, basically us preaching the gospel and, um, you know, doing the work of Christ here on this earth. So th those would be the only spirits that I would say um, are in heaven, you know, looking down and onto us. Because if you can imagine, I, I think God was so merciful in having death be asleep where we, we are not conscious, we're not watching things on this earth. Because can you imagine watching your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren suffer and all these things until Jesus comes again? That would not be heaven. Um, that you would not have any peace. It would it would be torture, and mm -hmm. so um, I think God, in His mercy, allowed um, for us to sleep sleep when we're we're dying until the resurrection morning, where we all are caught up together with Him. Uh, I'm sorry, Jay or Wendy, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll just toss out a couple more reaffirming Bible verses. There's Psalm right. six five. It says, "For death, for in death there is no remembrance of you." referring to God, in the grave, who will give you thanks? So if you're dead, how can you praise God? They're mm -hmm. saying you're not conscious, you can't do anything. You're not You're not existing. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, For the mm -hmm. living know that they will die, but the dead know not nothing, or know nothing. Uh, and then verse 10, it says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Yeah. So, and this is just the beginning. I have a extremely long, 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 long <laughs> list of Bible verses that all point to this. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get our next question up. So Juma is asking, why did Jesus Jesus crucified? I think it's why was Jesus crucified? Yeah. And Juma, that's a great question. A uh, really good question. I mean, if not, that's one of the most important in, mm -hmm. in the whole Bible to ask. Uh, and if we don't have a good grasp of that, we're missing something. And this is the one you were answering a little bit earlier. <laughs> so let's look at Romans 8, uh, starting at verse 2. Romans 8, verse 2. And it reads, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in, in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That all the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, Christ became a human being like us, was still God and lived a perfect, holy, righteous life. And yet he still died. All right. So we know that the wages of sin is death, yet Jesus didn't sin. And in this created this huge ripple, this ripple effect, because now we've shown how bad sin is. Sin gets to the point where it actually kills innocent people. Like it outright proven. Like any of us 
in a sense, deserve to die, even though we might be a good, decent person, we still deserve to die. And, um, and so even if something happens to us, Satan, the accuser, will still say, ha, oh, yeah, he deserved it. Mm-hmm. But Jesus died. And, and it, we talked about Satan being the murderer from the beginning. Who did he really want to murder? He's the originator of sin. Who did he want to kill? He wants to be like the Most High. Jesus, whose name is Michael, whose name means who is like God. That's what Satan wanted to be. And sin killed him. And so Jesus, by letting sin kill him for no good reason, revealed how bad sin is, why sin cannot be tolerated. But it also created a debt now. Now sin messed up, and now sin, in a sense, owes God. Um, you know, and, and, and so we talk here about Christ being our Redeemer. He bought us back now by giving up his life to sin, and now can claim us. And our lives, we, we know our lives are precious. Every life is has infinite value, but how much infinitely more valuable is the life of God himself, mm-hmm. who is the creator, who is the source of all life for all of us, and he then is the one that lays down his life. So I, I know these are hard concepts to wrap around, so let's go back to some more concrete verses. Second Corinthians 5, starting at verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses on them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what's happening on, on the cross? It's this concept of reconciling. So there was a dispute. There's, there was something that caused a separation, a dividing between us and God. And Christ on the cross is bridging the gap. I mean, think about it. When he's on the cross, he's up in the air. He's off of the ground, between the ground and between heaven and the sky. He's literally, in a sense, standing in the gap between man and God, symbolically on that cross, representing also that role he's playing. How is he bringing us to God? You know, and think about just uh, think about God being so high and lofty and unreachable. How can you connect with that God? He's so holy, how can we touch him? And yet here we see Christ on the cross, bruised, beaten, bloody, naked, dying for us, suffering all like us, carrying our sins, carrying our struggles, carrying our, our experiences. Everything you have felt, like all the effects of sin you have felt yourself, all those doubts, those fears, the pains, traumas, Christ experienced every single one of those himself on the cross. So when you now talk to Jesus and say, God, I'm feeling this, Jesus, I'm feeling this way, he could look at you and say, yes, I know because I felt that same experience you're feeling now on the cross. I took it with me on the cross so that I can relate to you. You can feel safe coming to me. You don't have to be afraid of me. I love you. I want to take your, your pain, your shame, your anguish, your experiences. I want to take that on also so that you know I understand. So you know you can approach me. He's reconciling us to God. This is Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a, a very important 
component of the gospel that most people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we make it sound like God is, you know, this very tough, vengeful person who, oh, my law says you must do this. If you don't, you're going to die. When, in reality, it's, if you break God's law and you want to continue breaking God's law, you you got to die. I mean, you, you, you're going to mess up the whole system for everybody and you're going to end up with a lot of innocent people getting hurt and dying. But God also making a way so that we can connect with him, be restored to him, get back into his his right way so that we can have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And recommend you read Isaiah 53. I think we're a little long now, but that goes into depth on Christ's experience on the cross, him carrying our sins, carrying our struggles. For what reason? By his stripes, we are healed. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. we're healed. This is the healing is a major component of the cross. Amen. Tina, did you have anything uh, brief to add before we go to the next one? Um, I just, I mean, what you're saying, Jay, was so spot on. And it just reminded me so much of um, uh, three verses that are in a row in Hebrews chapter four, where basically it's talking about Jesus being our high priest. And in verse 15, it says, we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And then the conclusion is in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm-hmm. So because Jesus is, you know, he's been through what we've been through. He knows what we're going through. He suffered like we've suffered. And then some, you know, we can come to him and um, find that mercy and grace to help. You know, we, we, he's approachable. God is, he's, that's why he's called, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm so grateful for that. That is the God <laughs> of the Bible. That's Amen. the God we serve. So um, I see that Amen. we're out of time and we have quite a few questions left. Do we want to hold off on those till next week? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. I'm just, I know if it was like one, I'd be like, yeah, sure. But I'm like, there's like a couple here. Yeah, there are a couple left. So, yeah, and we don't want to, we're already over time. So yeah. yeah. And I just quickly point out, uh, Brian has mm-hmm. a, a comment about pharaohs in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And sure. uh, more questions about, is God real? Sure. And and I'm just, I'm not going, I'm just going to say we, we could read it, but then we did address it in another episode. Yeah, I think it was just uh, one or two episodes ago that we actually exactly. talked specifically about, um, Moses and the Exodus and and the flood uh, and the flood and the geological history and so we did address that question if you want to um, hop back to that episode uh, and maybe maybe we can uh, comment the link to that one yeah. after the show tonight um, for him great questions we got lots of answers so yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't want to talk about these things but we do yes yeah so thank and, you Brian and, exactly and, you know, we just thank God that he's so good and he's given us the Bible and the, his truth. And, you know, it's sometimes people, you know, we're, we're volunteers, we're volunteering our time to do this. And um, sometimes people are like, wow, you, you spent a lot of time and effort doing it. It's like, because this is our joy. It, it's our yeah. joy to share the truth that's made us, you know, happy and free. 
And mm-hmm. um, I'm just so grateful to have a conversation with anyone out there who's, you know, has questions or has, you know, struggles that they're going through um, mm-hmm. with their walk with God. That's okay. You know, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're all sinners. We all need a savior. So, you know, we just want to encourage you if you are struggling or you have a question, please feel free to ask us. Um, And again, if you, um, you know, looking forward into the future episode, you know, if you'd like a question answered here live on our show, please feel free to go to BibleAsk.org forward slash live. And um, that's where you can submit any question that you have. Um, If you'd like it answered live on our show, BibleAsk.org forward slash live. Or if you would like something answered in private, our, our website, BibleAsk.org, also has um, a question answer uh, or um, a section to answer your question if you'd like it done privately through an email. So, you know, we're just here to answer your Bible questions and, um, you know, just hopefully help you come in, in contact with the God of the Bible who loves you so much. So um, with that, uh, can we close with a quick word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your Sabbath day that we get to spend this time with you and uh, sharing your word with people, your love with people. And we thank you so much for the viewers here that are asking questions and that are um, really trying to work out their own salvation with you, Lord. And and we know that they're, um, that like all of us, they are struggling and they have uh, questions that they need answers to. And We are just so glad that you have provided the answers to these difficult questions and you have um, revealed those to us so that we not only can benefit ourselves, but can share your love and um, your gospel with other people. And so we uh, pray that you will be with each person who has been uh, tuning into this and um, guide them and uh, help us to have to really internalize your word and your love for us and um, draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, who's joined us today. We hope to see you again next week, Friday at 6 p.m. for our next show of BibleAsk.org and all of our live questions. We'd love to have them answered. So again, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I hope to see you then. God bless. Bye. Bye. And we're still rolling. We'll say goodbye again.